Afternoon, 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 everyone. My name is Kyle D'Antoni, and we are back for another evening show at the Soccer Central News podcast. Tentative name change, possibly. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It was a great weekend for footy, my friends. I'm joined with two of my gracious co-hosts, Mason and Tyler. Mason, doing good. Kind of wish friend? that Chelsea would have got all three points today, but a point will suffice. Awesome, awesome. Tyler Bates, how are you doing? It's another great weekend for me. Finally, Dortmund looking good, but now a nervous week awaits for me with two critical matches. I'll get into that a little later on, though. But a good weekend, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Great stuff. And we have a lot to talk about, some hot subjects that we can't wait to dive into. And I think we're all on the same page, maybe more or less, on one or two of the topics. But first on the bill... Mason, well, the as a Chelsea fan, it was a mixed bag for us. On Tuesday, we had a, cl- a fantastic win against Atletico Madrid, the so-called leaders of La Liga. You know, as great as a team they is, you know, must have thought Chelsea were must have mixed with the Blues of Manchester versus Chelsea because they decided they wanted to come out with a back six, with you know attacking with with the attacking prowess. You know, Chelsea. You know, as Chelsea have, you know, is Giroud, you know, who is our talisman in the in Europe, who is now up to six goals in in the Champions League, one of the leading scorers. But outside of him, you know, Chelsea really don't have much going forward for him. But you know, still come out one zero. That's an excellent result for people who thought that Chelsea shouldn't have gotten out of the group stage. But we move forward. We're on to a new week of EPL action. Mm, indeed, indeed. I still just get a ridiculous laugh because that's going to become a meme now of parking the bus. I mean, you want to talk about a term of parking the bus and absolutely doing nothing. I, I, I don't recall anybody doing a 6-3-1 formation on there. Now, I understand that Madrid, this is pretty much their mainstay. This is exactly what has gotten them in play and has gotten them deep in Champions League runs before. But, I mean, just the fact of the matter of putting six in the pack, I just still cannot get over that. that that's going to be a picture for me I'm just going to be seeing forever. Forever. So, so uh, Diego, Diego Simeone is a great coach. No one would argue that. Um, so when you when you say a six three one, did he drop his his left mid and his left left mid and right mid into a outside back position? Is that what he did? And then he just left uh, his three center mids and left Suarez on an island. That's what he or did. How did he do that? Usually, Simeone as of late has been playing with three at the back and then two wing backs. But he those two wing backs essentially drop yep. back to make a back five, and then one of those rotating midfielders between Koke. I think Koke was mainly the main guy that would drop back as well and left kind of Joe Felix there in the midfield trying to find an outlet. And then Suarez, you know, just kind of hanging out with our other striker, you know, him and him and Tammy were playing patty cake for a while. Hmm. Cool. So, so uh, I, I, that's interesting because I am a fan of the wingbacks being an Arsenal fan. I, I love wingbacks. I think they're a great asset and they bring a lot of firepower. Uh, to your attacking, yeah, prowess. that's what Chelsea has been doing as of late with their three four three, or their three four two one. But that also becomes a hindrance when you get pinned back and you don't have any link up in the midfield. 
that's when that that's when your back three becomes a back five into a back six, like Atletico ended up doing. When Chelsea would just throw wave after wave of crosses into the box, unsuccessful, but crosses nonetheless. They they had no room to break, and it was and Atletico for a while were chasing shadows, you know, chasing the ball where the ball was, you know, it just couldn't get on the front foot at all, which which was very surprising, you know, being you know Chelsea maybe not being the most confident going into that match, you know, probably being the underdog, you know, with the new manager and kind of new system. It was a surprising tactic Simeone did, especially when he has the third highest rated or third highest transfer value in Jao Felix and the leading scorer of La Liga in Luis Suarez at his disposal. Jeez Louise. But imagine, but imagine what Portugal is going to look like come Euros, though. That 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 roster will be loaded, especially with him at the Elms. No doubt. So, uh, yeah, yeah. They have another Chelsea, Chelsea game. Ended up ended today. They played Manchester United, even though it really wasn't much of a match. You know, ended nil nil. There was a VAR controversy with a with the handball rule. It seems like every week that there's a, there's a handball, no call, should have been called, might not have been called. This one was between Mason Greenwood and Callum Hudson-Odoi. Ball bouncing around. Callum kind of goes in for a tackle, pulls his hands up. When he pulls his hands up, hand hits the ball. You know, so you run into a question of natural, unnatural position, you know, intense, not intent, ended up not being called, could have gone either way. You know, as a Chelsea fan, biased, glad it wasn't called. But, you know, had it been called a handball in the field, you know, there was no VAR image, you know, that would have disproven otherwise. But overall, it's a lack of quality on both sides. You know, Chelsea really need an attacking striker position, striker player. And, you know, they do have it, their eyes set on a certain German one or one that plays for a German club. You know, Don't so, even start you know, right now. You know, Don't you even start. German <laughs> robot on our team. That game might be very different. <laughs> Would have been different. But, I mean, the question I think, and I, I, I'm glad you brought up the VAR point, though, there. I mean, this one didn't seem like at, maybe minor controversial from there. You could look at a standpoint of some Manchester United fans who might have thought otherwise because it seems like. But And then most of them saying that everybody in the league is after us, and then that's why the penalty wasn't called. But, yes, I agree with Mason there. That could have gone either way, but I don't believe that there was enough to make that a clear and obvious error that the call had to be changed by the official in the field. I mean, I think what was described mostly at the end, if I looked at it when there and if I could read body languages from people being uh, as Olegona Scar or Solzar was explained by the fourth official was that Greenwood's hand was pretty much pretty much lifting or there was much, enough lifting by both him and Adoy ah. on both hands that maybe there was an advantage. Ah. I don't really know if Mason Greenwood was trying to lift his hand with his wrist or whatever to gain an advantage from there to create a penalty situation from that situation. But then again, I mean, it, it, again, I'm with Mason. That could have gone either way. They could have called it if they wanted to, but ultimately the whistle, the whistle was swallowed and the game played on. It just for me in that match itself, ultimately, I just felt like both teams were more playing to not lose the match rather than going and attacking to win the match itself, which is kind of really bars in question sometimes because I've seen both teams on different different, different given days and different given opponents they can just go and attack and they can score goals up and down left and right. But I don't know if it's to me in this match, it just seemed like 
let that let the other team make the mistake and we'll counter it and make them pay. And it really didn't come to fruition ultimately in the end. Yeah, so I, I, I agree. And man, oh man, Tyler Bates, you are good because I was going to say the exact same thing. And that's why I love having you on, my friend. Uh, and it's, it's a great point. So I, I thought the game was a decent game. I didn't think it was relatively boring. I, I agree that both teams went out for the win. At least they that's what they set up to do uh, for the most part. Um, I think that uh, the more, even though I'm not a Chelsea fan, uh, being from the, the other side of London, uh, you know, with red and white, uh, Arsenal is my club. But I do watch, I do enjoy watching the new Chelsea play. Um I, th- I think I really enjoy watching Aspilicueta play. Um, he's a very smart player. Uh, love watching him play. I thought Chelsea was actually playing relatively well, um, and they were passing the ball uh, very, very well. I thought they had a few stint where they had 20 passes within their own third, um, and so the ball finally got knocked out. I thought that was very impressive. Um, but that's just the coaching side of me. Um there was a very passive part of the game between both teams where both teams seemed to give um, possession away relatively easy with straight passes. Um, as for the, uh, as for the handball situation in the VAR, um, I agree a hundred percent that if you, if you wanted to look at it and say, well, Mason Greenwood is actually looks like you could make the argument. He's pushing uh, Hudson Adoy's. Yeah. Is that correct? Hudson Adoy yeah. was the other player. Yeah, Hudson Adoy's arm is up. Could you make that argument? I agree, hundred percent. You could make that argument, but as a midfielder and a and a player, uh, both you guys uh, are knowledgeable. If if, both, if two players are going at the ball and they're both coming to each other, odds are both hands on each player are going to go up to brace themselves. So I would think that you either player one or the other was hands were at their side to brace themselves for contact. They're expecting contact. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a loose ball, it's fifty-fifty ball. Uh, no one had possession, obviously, fifty-fifty ball. So, could you make that argument? I could see that argument as well. Um, I I think if it did go to a penalty, I would think that would be extremely harsh because uh, I don't think it's it's obviously not purposeful, but it's not. I, I don't know if it's really unavoidable because both players are right there making a move for the ball. And I agree, it's not a clear and obvious, you know, um, error. So uh, I'm I'm good with the no penalty call, 100%. And I shouldn't say that there weren't options for this game because I mean both teams had their chances. Olivia Drew actually had another chance. He was two yards away from heading in another goal for him today. And also on Manchester's side, Fred had an amazing free kick that just missed on the outside. So I mean things were happening in the second half. It just kind of was a slow buildup though for the first half. But Mason's got something else to add. Exactly. You guys both hit the nail on the head. Both teams outside of the penalty had chances to win it. Drew had a great shot. I mean coming out of the first two minutes of the second half, Ziesh had a wonderful look at goal. Someone just throws yes. the hand, you know, somehow the ball is magically attached to his hand, you know, keeps it from going out. You know, it's two yards to the left or the right, it's another goal. So, I mean, it's harsh for, you know, both teams to be looking at that one penalty as what decided the game. Because, you know, both teams had many chances to, to get a win. But, you know, both teams are okay with the draw. Yeah, we'd like all three points, but it'd, be, it'd hurt 
one of us more if one of us walked in at all three points. But I think yeah, one thing we can agree know. with, though, is Captain America Pulisic needs to keep the beard more yes. often. He looks a lot better with that. <laughs> I, I, it was pretty good. I did think I did think that Zayic, uh, uh he was the man of the match for me. Um, I thought he controlled the midfield very well. Um, and he had a lot of great shots. Um, just goes back to the fact of why Tyler and I have talked about this on the other episodes, is that he – why he was one of the heaviest recruited people coming out of the last, uh, was it the last transfer window? Mm-hmm. If not the second to last transfer window. Um, and then Chelsea uh, closed the deal on him. Uh, so you can see how important he is to them and how he loves to spread the field and he will shoot. I think all of his shots were outside the 18. I think he had three or four outside the 18. All, I believe all were on target except for maybe one. Um, uh, didn't really make uh, uh, the keeper, much of a challenge, um, but you can see that he is important to the team and how uh, Thomas Kuko uh, loves him and will use him. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely for certain there. So, rounding rounding out the rest of the EPL for uh, the games, Tottenham smashed Burley 4-0. Fulham and Crystal Palace both draw. <laughs> Liverpool pulls out the win, and Arsenal wins over the Foxes at three to one. And I got a small little thing right here with Arsenal is that I don't understand why Mikel Arteta subs on Aubameyang when we already have a three, one and he subs on Aubameyang uh, and later in the game, I just baffles me. Um, I, I don't understand. Uh, Arsenal fans have been crying for uh, Martinelli to come back on the field. Uh, they call him the, the Wonder Brazilian. He's a Brazilian kid that I believe Arsenal signed when he was 16, 17 years old. Um, and we've seen him, you know, barely. Uh, why sub on your best player uh, when we're already winning 3-1? That just baffles me. I don't know. That must be a contract thing. I don't know. I don't know but... necessarily about that. I bet <laughs> you if there was one thing yeah. from that that I would say is just up until the injury that happened for Leicester City itself – Leicester City has proven that they can score in bunches and in bunches quickly, too. So maybe that was Mikel Arteta. Maybe that was Arteta's mindset was to keep a striker and somebody on there just to make Leicester's defense think. So then that way they're not able to press as much as they want to on the offensive side of the ball. That might be the only thing they could think of from that. Right. And you know what? Leicester is one of those teams that you never count out. And you can probably throw Leeds. Leeds is a definite another team that you never count out of the fight. Two very good counterattacking teams. So, uh, rounding out the weekend, we got two matches to talk about. We got City and West Ham. Mm-hmm. City, who have uh, haven't trailed in the last seventeen matches, can you believe that, guys? Seven, 17 matches, uh, City has not trailed a match. So, with the goals, um, uh, the goal, great power away, uh, opposite direction. Only two ways to go uh, for the goal. Um, it was, I believe, it was a one nil victory. Um, and uh, it, it was uh, sorry two one uh, to City. Uh, one of the goals is down and away. It's a fantastic goal uh, when it comes to the headers. Um, sometimes as a player, you get, uh, you can exploit other areas of a goalkeeper, but because the distance is is so small, mm-hmm. the player needs to power in the direction to of the keeper, i.e., go in the opposite direction of the keeper because the keeper is obviously his momentum is going the opposite direction. Keeper close the distance, but on the header, unless it uh, comes in the traffic, it would be, have to be created more of a problem. So great job there on the goal. 
uh, West Ham was holding their own. You were, you, you, you know, they, uh, West Ham is very, uh, has been playing very good uh, as of recently. Um, West Ham gets some possession bits on high team press uh, in the final third. City get complacent and get beat off a ball on a throw in uh, into a counterattack and uh, West Ham uh, buries a goal. But unfortunately, City win. I'm going to say unfortunately, but City win. Go with they win the twentieth in a row. They, I, I honestly enjoyed the second goal that Man City had. The build up to it on the outside, and then just the sheer passing of the inside for the players to find Stones, who literally just throws West Ham off guard up there. But like you mentioned, it's uh, I, mean, I, I don't take too much away for West Ham. Because I thought, really, honestly, they did play a pretty decent match. Jesse Lingard has been a blessing in disguise for this team and definitely was needed the move that he made from Manchester United to West Ham because he'd been a benefactor for them. So while, yes, it is a loss for West Ham, I don't think that they take too much away because there were plenty. I thought there was more positives and negatives. Ultimately, in the end, you don't get any points in this match. But there are still things that you can take away from this. And, and you have to think about it again. West Ham was not a team that was expected to be as high as they are right now. I mean, I distinctly remember saying they were a relegation candidate for me in the upcoming preseason. So they're surprising everybody off the side. But as you mentioned, yes, I mean, if the one negative Manchester City did give up a goal for the first time in over 700 minutes, but yet again, that's another win for Manchester City. It's another feather in the cap for them and ultimately extending that lead in the table because that draw to Manchester United Chelsea now puts Manchester United in second, but now they're 12 points clear of their city rival as we head later into the API. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is that this top four race coming into these last few months of the season is going to be nuts because in that Leicester-Arsenal game, Leicester lost the key player in that midfield. And he's, yeah. he's out for at least six weeks. So who knows what the table's going to look like by the time Harvey Barnes has come back. And with this form that West Ham are in, you know, top four could easily, you know, include a West Ham and Leicester drop out. And Liverpool, with them winning today, they've gained ground as well. So that we may not have a title race this year. Actually, we don't have a title race. I know last week I said mm. we still had title race maybe, <laughs> but now that's put to bed, done and dusted. This top four race is even one for the ages, though. That's for sure. I do enjoy that because you mentioned it. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Two through six are all separated by seven points. I mean, two matches and a lot of things can change real quickly, real fast. Absolutely, absolutely. And the last game uh, covering EPL is the controversy game. We got some uh, interesting tidbits Mm -hmm. on here. It is Brighton versus West Brom. I would say it was a decent game to watch. The game was at the Hawthorns. Uh, Lee Mason, as a referee, I thought did decent for the most part, up until one moment. Tyler Bates, <laughs> break it down. Okay, so I believe this was in the 29th minute um, when this happened. So, Lewis, a free kick was given, and just outside of the box, Lewis Dunk was teed up to take a free kick. Initially, it was Lewis Dunk argued that he heard Lee, Me- he heard Lee Mason blow his whistle to initiate play. Play is play is in go, and you can go take the kick. Took the kick, scored a goal on the out on the right side of the net. It's a goal goal given for Brighton, and then initially there was kind of talk there at the at it was play was stopped by Mason saying no, we need to retake this. I was we weren't ready for play. Lewis Dunk running up. You have a plethora of Brighton players saying, you blew your whistle. You said the ball was in play. It's got to be a goal. 
This is about a one-minute argument with everybody, one another, with Lee Mason's my, with his microphone in it, earpiece, him listening to wherever. And mind you, no VAR check was given yet on this. This was still just kind of talking with other officials and with the fourth official on the field, on the pitch itself. And then after about a minute and a half, two minutes of confusion, Lee Mason points to the center to the center of the circle. The goal's given. Brighton are celebrating now. And then West Brom is in a shambles and absolute disregard on this. So then about 35 seconds later, even before the before the ball's kicked off to start replay again, VAR comes in and makes saying we've got to review this. And then ultimately VAR comes in and rules this one a no goal, which get this. <laughs> the explanation on this one, it was an offside because apparently on the free kick, I don't remember what the play, which player it was, but apparently there was a player in an offside in an offside position because he was obstructing the goalkeeper's viewpoint on the free kick. Now I have to go back and look at that again that's, two, three different times. Uh, but that's but I, I if this is the explanation of why the bar check was coming in. Why in the first minute and a half of the melee did we not check this while Brighton players were all over the officials? So this, I mean, I, I think, and and second, secondly of that, the the Lee Mason, the head the head judge, would have never known someone was offsides from the angle no. he was at on the free kick spot. So he would have never known of the offsides in the first place. So I think that's complete yeah. crap. So, I mean, offside of the complete there, that's the explanation given at the game. So then if he was in an offside position, why then was the free kick given again? That's the other thing to me is that then if it's an offside, then West Brom gets the ball where where the offside was given at or pointed to. Ah, but when the bar check was given, they said it was initially given that – it was no. This was the free kick was not in play. We have to take the free kick. And then the explanation later comes that I find out later is that the VAR was it was ruled as offside because somebody was obstructing the goalkeeper's view. So that to me should have been okay. Well, that should have been West Brom's ball from the offside position, not a re, not a re kick for the free kick take. So this is the kind of things that again, as for me in in officiating and for anybody else the confusion that we're seeing and again i don't i don't see this as much in the league because i i do watch epo just because of entertainment and everything but i'm seeing this from epl <laughs> fans and anybody else alike that var has been a huge problem this year so this is i think a combination mix of confusion between the center ref and also with the var officials who were taking in that type of match so I, I, and and so forget the two missed penalties that Brighton had in this game because they had one even before this whole melee. And then Danny Welbeck, your Arsenal prodigy, who misses another one in this match. So forget the two missed penalties, this whole combustion that happened, because ultimately for Brighton, this was something that did not work out for them because the relegation table is still all of a sudden, it's kind of creeping in. Fulham, they're not too far behind West Newcastle and Brighton Bulls. And if West Brom gets a couple of more matches in, West Brom is making things in place. So all of a sudden, Brighton and everybody else who thought maybe they were clear of the bottom three, well, with this result, we're going to have some race, not only at the top for finishing for Champions League, but also in a relegation Yeah, this game, well. this refereeing incident kind of reminds me, I'm not sure how much you guys watched of last year's MLS playoff, playoff run, but or 
Orlando City. Oh, and, and I watched plenty of it. <laughs> kind of had a had a had a big refereeing debacle. Oh. oh, you know this is it's American soccer. You know, obviously this would never happen in Bundesliga or, or heaven forbid the EPL. And here we are with a fiasco at the you know not obviously is <laughs> very different, but similar quality of what's going on here. For those who don't know, in the playoffs, you know, shootout, you know, and, and ending in a shootout. Well, in the middle of the shootout, the referee forgot who was in the lead. Forgot, you know, that Orlando, you know, they thought, oh, Orlando scored. No, they didn't <laughs> yeah. hide it up. Yes. And they had called, at, you know, in MLS, when a goalkeeper goes off of his line, you know, they give him a yellow card. That's the yellow card offense. And this keeper went off his line for one of the penalty kicks. Comes out, it, it was his second yellow. So he gets kicked out easily. He gets ejected from the match. And Orlando tries to sub on their goalkeeper. And, the, and the, the, keeper, the refs let the keeper get all the way to the goal. And they're like, wait a second, hold on. We, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. I mean, it was an absolute, you know, debacle. But, you know, it's, no one's immune from this. But it seems like every week, without fail, there's at least one to two refereeing decisions in the, in the EPL. That just you shake your head, you tilt your head, and wonder why doesn't Bundesliga have this problem? Why doesn't Syria or La Liga have this problem? You know why does it seem like it's only the EPL in these high-profile matches? <laughs> it, it's a million. I, I just I I hear that from everybody each week. I've been asked this beforehand too itself, and I and the and I think I, I honestly believe I mean it was a tremendous analogy that you had there, Mason. And I, I I personally believe, and this can be a different subject for a different day, a totally different special podcast itself between officials and everything. But the biggest difference that I'm seeing right now is the analogy of. The EPL officials are kind of like your New York Yankees, the old timers, the, the, the tradition. They're not buying into the adaptation. They're not at buying into the fact of everybody's got to be coerced. Everybody has to be educated. What did you do wrong? Nobody's really held accountable each week, number one. Number two, nobody ever gets in front of a mic to even fess up to say, did they make a mistake? Did they not? Um, you don't have you don't have right. that in the Bundes you don't have that in the Bundesliga. I mean, they're not coming across anybody. But I can tell you that the DFB, if a mistake is made, that official, that whole crew gets something of a reprimand, and that can affect them as far as future matches, high profile matches itself. I'm not seeing that in the EPL. I mean, I don't know what else you see, Kyle. Yeah. So uh, you know what. And this is interesting. Yeah, the two penalties was ridiculous. It's just it's just absolutely terrible. I mean, good lord. And it's it's kinda like I know Wellbeck is uh man, that's just ever since he, he had a lackluster no, I wouldn't say lackluster. He had a uh up and down career at Arsenal being kind of like a super sub and he had that wondrous goal against Leicester City. Uh, which uh, was, was just fantastic goal, um, and <laughs> all the Arsenal players just jumped into the, the stands. It was it was chaotic. It was great, but ever since he you know he, you know he got sold or whatever, and he's just he's just man, he just he pulls stuff like this. I'm like, what are you doing? It's a penalty, yeah, you know. And it's it, it's just it just baffles me. And you know what? And going back to what you're saying about the referees, you know. Uh, I believe the uh, and 
actually on NBC Sports, it says that the second whistle was blown before the ball crossed the line. Mm. So it kind of makes you think, like, what's the real story? If if they're saying, well, was it offsides, then now the referees don't even have their own story straight. So uh, versus the actual publication that's on NBC Sports. So um, it, 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 it baffles me. And then if you actually watch the replay, you do hear two, you do hear I do two too. whistles. Yes. But, at the same, at, but at the same time, Lewis Dunst in his interview, post-match interview, which we've covered uh, on the page, actually called out the Referees Association and said, hey, why don't you get over here and do an interview? And he even says that he asked the referee if he could play the ball. And, and so – um, you know, and that's a, that's a whole nother story. Uh, you know, and some people think he'll be fine. Other people think he won't. Um, but I think he has a right to be, argue- I think he has a right to be angry. I think all of the players do uh, on both teams. And I say on both teams because you got, you got to think it's like, well, if you're offsides, then we get the ball, but it's not offsides. Then you let them re-kick. So what's the, again, what's the real story? Uh, it's a wild weekend on the EPL, like it always is. You know, uh, it is. Like, like, like Mason was saying, like some something or other, something's gonna happen, and that's why we watch stuff like this. It's because it's it's enjoyable to talk about. But that's enough on the EPL for the weekend. Bring us in for Soccer Central News. I'm Kyle. I'm your primary host today, and we're gonna talk about some Bundesliga action. With our good friend Tyler Let's Bates. jump into the Bundesliga because that is the league that I profess in and that I fully wholeheartedly watch on a consistent basis. Now, I go into the to the team that I follow the most, and that is Borussia Dortmund. Since we're talking now, let's talk about the Norwegian cyber robot himself. And Borussia Dortmund over the weekend, a home win, 3-0 win over Armenia Bielefeld. Uh, goals by Jaden Sancho, who... Him of himself as just having a resurgence. It was a bad start to the 2020-21 season. But ever since the turn of the calendar year in 2021, Jaden Sancho now has six goals on seven assists. And he had a goal and another assist in this game itself. Goals by Jaden Sancho, um, Mahoud Dahoud, and also Rania, who is a who is a transfer, not a loan transfer from Real Madrid. Those were the goals for us there in this match. So uh, surprisingly enough, Holland didn't have a goal, but he did have an assist in this, in this match, Uh, but easily, easily just pretty much overpower Bielefeld kind of one of the more relegation candidates, but this is another second straight match where Dortmund has been taking a lot of good, a good and improving Kind of more the lines of the Sevilla match from the Champions League and then from beating your rival in Schalke 4-0 over the week. So this is some good things that are though coming for Borussia Dortmund because two huge matches are coming up for Borussia Dortmund in the DFB Pokal in the quarterfinal action against Mochen Gladbach coming up. And next Saturday, after that on Tuesday, on Saturday, it is the Dirt Classicer with Byron coming in. So we all know what my mood is going to be next Saturday morning coming into this match itself. But it's just a kind of the, the whole play itself. Jaden Sancho, seeing Gio Reina coming back in, looked really good from these games. The other one, though, that kind of I come to mind a little bit, and we can bring in Mochen Gladbach just a little bit, and that is Mochen Gladbach had a, was playing against RB Leipzig over the weekend, and they had a 2-0 lead on RB Leipzig. Goals by Hoffman, a penalty, and then Thurman in the 19 minutes. But then in the second half, just a debacle of a defensive effort just breaking down for Mochengladbach because goals by Nukuku 
in the 57th minute, Poulsen in the 66th, and then in stoppage time, pretty much right at the death, a 90th minute stoppage time goal that gives RB Leipzig three to win over Mochenglaka because this is a big thing right now as far as Bundesliga standings go because now not only did that cost Mochenglaka points itself, all three points, but that also keeps the race going for RB Leipzig because now RB Leipzig is still only two points behind Bayern, Bayern München. So we thought Bayern Munich would be pretty much the, the deal's done in the Bundesliga. They're going to win the title. I mean, RB Leipzig still has something to say, only two points behind with them there. But I think for me right now, specifically, I kind of point to the minds of Dortmund kind of is on a roll, ever so gradually getting back into the things. Because the biggest thing that ever since we got rid of our manager itself has been make sure that we finish the top four and we're sitting in fifth place right now. Matches went again, went our way with Frankfurt losing and Leverkusen also losing over the weekend. So there's a chance now for Dortmund to get back into the top four of things, but I don't know if with you guys of anything for yourselves. I know everybody here loves the cyborg Colin himself, but if there's anything that matches out or anything that stands out to you guys, now's the time to step in. <laughs> Now, my only question really is, if, is Dortmund going to get top four? Because I know I've heard and read reports that if they don't, then, you know, you guys are going to be selling a whole bunch of players, including, you know, Holland, Sancho, and maybe even Reyna. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, is there, are you guys think you're, are you confident that you guys are going to get top fourth now that you've kind of had a few results come your way? Or is it still, you know, a long road ahead? Uh, for me, I, I, I remain on the side of caution because what I've seen with Dortmund in this run under Edin Terzic is that they can look amazing in two matches. And, and let's be and let's be fair. I mean, Schalke is just not who they are supposed to be. And I feel I mean, even if they are my deep, deep rival, I feel terrible not knowing that probably they're going to the second division and that's not good for Schalke. And Bielefeld is also a team that's eh, just not really. The problem with Dortmund is that they can look amazing in matches and they can score goals and be go crazy, but then they can literally just really make make everything look terrible the next match. And that's something that I look towards for next week in this partic- these particular matches. You're going up against Mochen Gladbach, somebody who has beaten you just recently a few matches back in the quarterfinals of the Cup. You got over the hump of the round of 16. Now you're in the quarterfinals. Can you get over that hump? Oh, by the way, next Saturday, you've got to play your top one of your top rivals in Bayern Munich. Can you close that gap? Can you get into the top four? Now, what things have to happen for them, too, is that they can't be dropping points, meaning losing or tying games that they should be winning. They've got to continue on this role. They dug too deep of a hole, and they allowed teams of the like of Frankfurt and Leverkusen and even Union Berlin to be in that mix for a top-four finish. So to answer the question, Mason, I already assume that Sancho is not going to be there. I think he's one of the guys that will be sold off this summer. He's coming somewhere to whoever it's going to be the EPL. My money would be with Manchester United still. But yes, it is in a huge question because if we don't get into Champions League or even in Europa League, there's enough financial there. What we lost as far as financial constraints goes that another superstar would have to be sold. Now the obvious table that Zork and the management of Dortmund says is that Holland is not on the list, for at least for this year. And I don't know how far I'm going to believe that. I have to believe that maybe he would be at least one more season. 
But that doesn't mean then that Gio Reyna is not on the table. That doesn't mean that <laughs> Ulian Brandt is on the table. That does not mean that other guys wouldn't be on that table. And they can get, generate some revenue, too, from other teams, and they would be needed. So for me, it's I honestly have given up on the title. I don't think Dortmund is going to be anywhere near winning the title. It's just more of make sure you find a way to get into that top four. Yeah, um, I, I I was going to make the same comment is that um, they don't have uh, – there's a little cushion between, you know, seven and eight uh, in the table. But Leverkusen's not far behind, especially on goal difference. Um, and it would be interesting if they can even break the top four or even if there's another team that makes a late run and they just stay in the Europa League qualification. Well, well again, what, what made things good and why things look a little bit interesting is that Leverkusen lost today, which we needed. So they weren't able to get three points and lost to Freiburg. And Frankfurt lost to Werder Bremen. So that also halted Frankfurt for getting any extending that field. So that's where Dortmund has been able to go, is that they've got to play their matches and what is ahead of them. And they've also got to have other teams support them in play. Now, going into next week, what does that look like for Dortmund? Well, we know with Dort- with next week, it's the Der Klassiker. Anything can happen. It hasn't been in our favor, though, the last few matches. So I'm not holding my breath on that. I'm still going to be a nervous wreck come next Saturday on that. But, but Leverkusen's going to have to play Gladbach. That's going to be a big key thing. Can Bayern, What's that match going to look like? Because Leverkusen has not looked great, and neither has Gladbach the last two matches. Frankfurt has not looked good the last couple of matches. And Stuttgart is no easy task to go to and play in either. So those are things that I'm looking at right now. But, I mean, all honestly, though, one thing that I'm not giving enough credit to that I should probably be giving credit to is the credit should be given to Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg has been doing amazing this season with what they've been doing. And also even RB Leipzig, as much as a lot of the teams in Germany hate Leipzig and the way that their structure is going, Leipzig is still making the race not, not easy for Bayern Munich to win. And they're going to have something to say in this title race going. So I'm certain that Leipzig is probably looking at our match next week with Bayern and saying, can you help us out here a little bit? Because a loss, a win for Dortmund does big. But it also does big for other teams, too, trying to catch Bayern in that race. Because as anybody who is a Bundesliga fan, eight straight years of Bayern winning, we're all sick of it. Somebody else has got to win this league. <laughs> well, I mean, that you, we can – Absolutely. And that can be another topic another day <laughs> Somebody about else how the structures in, the, in Bundesliga is so much different than everywhere else in the world with their 50-plus the rule. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that is a good topic as a discussion, not as a special itself, because if people don't know, is that most club, all clubs in the Bundesliga is a 50 plus one rule, meaning that 50% of ownership has to be by the fans. You don't see that in EPL. So there's a big difference between that and other things. So that may be something I have to study about and bring up as a part of a special in the next day itself. Anything else from you two? On yeah, this? I'm good. I think too. I've spoken enough about Germany. All right. I'm good. All right. Well, then I'll kind of leave things a little bit, kind of wrap around or round about a little bit here. I want to turn attention just a little bit. Uh, any reaction as far as the Europa League? Since Champions League is still taking a little bit of a break, we've got matches in over this week. Mason mentioned it. So there'll be a little bit of break in between before the second legs. But that doesn't mean Europa League's not going. Europa League is still going. Matches were played. And we also now are down to 16 teams and we've already had a draw. So. I lead off with Kyle on this. Any reaction on what the draw looks like 
And is there any disappointment of teams who didn't make it through that you thought maybe would? So I think it was a decent draw. I'm looking at the table right now. Um, Arsenal draw Olympiacos out of Greece. Uh, it would be a good good game, uh, good uh, uh, match. Um, and there's a, one, or two, one or two players for Olympiacos that are former Arsenal players. But the key game I'll be, I think I'm going to watch on is the Milan-United uh, game. I think that's going to be a hot match. Um, but also keep eye on Rangers. Rangers are playing a fantastic mm-hmm. season. Let's see how they do in this first round. Yeah, I'm excited for that Rangers uh, match too. I mean, just the, the whole COVID restriction yeah. as well. For round one matchup, you know, with that aggregate being, what, like 9-4, 9-5 between those two legs. I mean, they can put goals on the yeah. board. I mean, and that Milan yeah. one is interesting too. Just, you know, back in the day for those growing up watching Manchester United or Milan, you know, those those two teams having epic Champions League battles, now both being relegated to Thursday Night Football. <laughs> Ouch. A little bit there. Yeah. No, that is, I mean, I like what you mentioned there, just a little bit. I mean, Manchester United, AC Milan, that, that is in, in of itself worthy of Champions League final match, but it's a round of 16 in Europa League. And not just to mention Zlatan Ibrahimovic making his return back to Old Trafford against each other. I like those. I like what you mentioned about Rangers, and I also a couple of others itself. I'm going to pay attention also to Tottenham. What are they going to do against Dinamo Zagreb? That's not an easy task to go to there, play against a team, because there are a lot of unknowns. And I want to see what Tottenham's going to look like, because, again, they're kind of a team that one week, can look just amazing and will score goals. And they have the capabilities of doing it with Sun and with Kane. Both just can be scoring dynamite machines. Or they can also just look like crap and not do anything whatsoever. So that's something. And I think Jose Mourinho himself probably wants to put that feather on the cap itself saying, I can't win the league, but I can still deliver trophies. Something that Pochettino wasn't able to do, which he repeatedly continues to keep saying, which I'm I'm getting sick of his excuses, honestly, at this point. Uh, but those are ones for me that I'll kind of keep a close attention to itself. So, yeah, Europa League going a little bit. Only disappointment, I guess, would for me is I, I kind of wish Leicester City would have done a little bit better. And that's who Rangers are going to face now is who is Slavia Prague, who eliminated Leicester City. I thought maybe Leicester would kind of sneak through. So that might be my only probably disappointment. But interesting matchups coming up. But no question headlined by AC Milan against Manchester United in the round of 16. So the only other big thing that I bring up today is going to be this. And I want to turn to into MLS just a little bit. And this was kind of big breaking news that came out Friday that kind of caught me off guard. It certainly caught the club off guard and it caught a lot of people in the MLS fans off guard. Uh, Ron Burke, who is the, was a main component and a main investor into Sacramento FC getting the bid to become the next team that would be expanded into the MLS suddenly backs out on Friday, makes an announcement that's saying citing citing restrictions as far as the pandemic has been going over the last uh, last few months, over the last year. He cited that those restrictions have caused him to kind of back out. This is a billionaire, mind you, itself. So I don't know exactly what, what that means. So you can take it for what it is. But that now puts FC Sacramento in a little bit of turmoil as far as the expansion goes because all the teams that were – let me put for context in here. Sacramento, 
and St. Louis FC and Charlotte are were slated as the next three teams to round out to make it 30 teams in the MLS to slate and begin. Charlotte FC is going to be the first one that comes in, and the Sacramento and St. Louis would be coming in. These two team, all these three teams were backed one year because of the pandemic itself. Don Garber has backed up these teams to play instead of in 2022. Now they'll back it up a year. But now with these with Sacramento kind of looking into this mix and they and I wonder if they can't get another main investor in and if they can't get another big name to come in and help this team because they had everything put together because I want to tell you the basis of this to have a team when determining awarding expansions is this owners committed to the MLS. Well, you already have one of your back ones, the main investor who's backed out. Stadium, which was approved, size of the market itself, Sacramento, large enough, and then local fan base with Sacramento FC already being in the USL, that was there. But my biggest factors in thinking about this is if they don't back out, this can hurt somebody because I bring this up. The 28th and the 29th expansion teams that are coming in pay a $200 million entrance fee. The 30th team that gets expanded in has to pay a $325 million entrance fee. So now if Sacramento FC can't find that person in, so right now the 30th team would be St. Louis FC that would have to pay that 325 million. If they get bumped up and Sacramento can't find an investor from there, that's going to put St. Louis up. And then that's another 125 million that Sacramento would have to come up. Would that be enough that it would just back them out? They would not be able to get an expansion. And that's where I bring into mind here now a little bit because Mason had an idea of a, of a certain team that he's followed in the USL. And I have one too myself, but I want Mason to go first on that. Who could be a potential replacement if Sacramento's yeah, thing falls through? I have had through. my eyes on the Las Vegas Lights. They've been a couple-year expansion team in the USL. Last year, the past couple years, they're actually coached by Eric, Wynal- Eric Winalda, who is a U.S. men's national team legend. But they have an excellent, <laughs> kind of almost like a cult following down there in Vegas which is interesting, but you know, it's a very, it is a interesting place to expand to, but it's also shown a success in expansion. It's been able to host both the hockey NHL hockey team mm-hmm. really successfully, as well as the Las Vegas Raiders. They had a successful season despite the pandemic as well. So Las Vegas could be a place where it has the capital to front that $325 million price tag to get into MLS to, to, to buy in and probably has everyone for every in Vegas to, to watch to quote unquote watch a soccer match you know yeah. that has a lot of extra touristic trash attractions as well so I think Vegas would probably be if I was sitting in, in Don Garber's seat Vegas mm. would one Anything to add, Kyle? Um, yeah, you know what? And this is, man, I got such a big beef with the MLS. It is just, it's, it's my beef with it is, is just ridiculous. And here's why: one, I'm from Houston. Uh, Houston is a very big sports city. We have every sport except for hockey, which we used right. to have, right? So technically, we are, yeah, we have all major sports. The fact that the that MLS, uh, you know, relies on ownership for like from billionaires. I, I get it; the money's got to come from somewhere. But it goes back into the argument of about 
um, different, like you see this a lot in like lower league uh, EPL teams, right? In like the Coca-Cola league and the championship league and some of these other leagues that a lot of the clubs, a, a decent majority of the club is actually owned by the fans and or yeah. the city, not billionaires. And we were talking about that in, in, in mm-hmm. about the Bundesliga. So the fact that MLS relies on billionaires to pull these strings left and right, I think that's a huge flag. And in me being a Houstonian, the fact that Houston, the, the owners of, of the Houston Dynamo make so much money and put throw a little less into the club, I think I think that uh, that that's a terrible bad thing. I know there's a lot, and man, I have trolled so hard on their page. And I actually think this might be a good thing overall because maybe this will be a cue for MLS to go away or at least look to other directions of other ownership opportunities especially for fans and then we can and we saw that into other other ownerships uh, like uh, in austin yeah. austin fc right uh and there and there's a handful of other clubs that have uh, minority owners between different smaller groups um right but i think it, it also gives opportunities for other clubs like st louis um to uh you know possibly move up now can they cover the difference i think mm-hmm. that's going to be the problem uh I, I just have a, such a big beef with MLS. Um, I know very well. I know it very well. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's 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 my two. There's cents a on few it. things for me now. Uh, uh, I mentioned to Mason's point about Las Vegas. The other team that I guess comes to mind for me is another USL team in San Diego Rising. Landon Donovan has a huge has a huge part of that organization. He has some ownership in it, and he's also the manager of that squad too. So they're also a candidate uh, for me that would be top candidate wise. Another California team, uh, it would sound like that if they were to get in, it sounds like they would share at least the state, at least the stadium or either with San Diego State, who's building a new football specific, a football specific stadium on campus, or they may build their own soccer specific stadium itself or update what they play. So that might be another one. But that to me, I, I look at this from that standpoint again and. I don't necessarily know a pandemic or pandemic or not. I was just getting to a point with MLS. My biggest beef has been we're expanding. We're just, uh, we are looking into just expand, 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 looking more and more and more. I mean, I, I, I bring this subject up to you six years ago. There were five years ago. There were only 20 teams in the MLS. We're going to have 30 team, 10 more teams in less than 10 years in MLS starting in 2023. I'm at a point where, where is the line going to be drawn? And I understand that the American sports perspective is more of billionaire owners, and that's how the structure works. And it's all about money and what can I do? I own this team. That's how things work in America. And then I get all that. But at a certain point, you have to look at a perspective from MLS and say, you need to start looking at these other leagues and other clubs around the world. And you need to start looking and seeing how the structure is done with these teams. And you're noticing that there's different divisions. So I'm fine if they want to do up to 30 teams, but I'm also going to make the argument now that if we get the 30 teams, can't we be at a certain point that we can do two separate divisions of the MLS, MLS one, MLS two, because you certainly have enough teams that you can certainly do it now. So that for me has just been kind of, something that brings up more and more with this because you're going to have billionaire owners that can back in and back out. So 
that expansion fee is not cheap either because it used to be a hundred million to bring in the team. Now you got to fork over 325 million. Boy, that just seems like too much. So I'll keep tabs on this a little bit more as this goes along, but that is certainly something that I wanted to bring up there. But that is the only other thing that I have, Kyle, unless anybody else around the round table today has something else. So I think uh, uh, my final thought on this is that I think I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but the teams and the league, the teams and the ownerships have to answer to the yes, league. They do. Right. They do have to answer to the league. Okay. Uh, yeah, so they're actually over overall. Yeah, overall owned by, owned the, by league. the league. So that's where something Don Garber is going to have to take a look and see what's going to happen from here and now what happens. But again, I can tell you this is that Sacramento FC's club, the, the main ownerships of the club, were not happy about this. The players were not happy about this. The mayor was certainly not happy about this sudden backup because nobody had any idea about this until he specifically made this statement. And two hours later, the MLS comes out with a statement. Sacramento FC didn't even come out with something until later that night saying in confirming indeed. So this is something that's still probably going to play itself out a little bit longer. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. My biggest thing is kind of coming back to the the day. I'll leave it up to Mason. Go ahead. And the idea that the EPL is quote unquote, the greatest league in the world. Well, it can't be the greatest league in the world. If you have the worst referees in the world. And, you know, if the ML, if the EPL doesn't want to self-police, at least Champions League does. Because if you notice, there was no English head referees in the round of 16 in the Champions League. If that doesn't tell the EPL they need to wake up, then I don't know what will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Tyler I Bates, agree with him thoughts. there on there. I mean, the FA and the EPL has got to look at things there. But, again, the race is heating up in some leagues there. I think pretty much – honestly, outside of the EPL, there's still title races that are happening in most of the other leagues itself. I mean, Bundesliga has got a race. Even the French League has got a race. And all of a sudden, Atletico Madrid's lead has kind of squandered away a little bit. And Real Madrid and Barcelona are hanging in the balance there just a little bit more. So there are other title contender races as we go along. But certainly going to pay attention to those. And I'll certainly be be paying attention on Saturday. Well, actually, not really. I'm probably going to try and check my phone as much as I can as I'm officiating matches myself, youth leagues on Saturday. But the Classicer is this Saturday if people are interested. Bayern against Dortmund. Always a lot of fun to watch that match. Awesome, awesome. So, my name's Kyle. We have my final thoughts. My final thoughts are, is the EPL game weak? I say yes, and here's why. We're talking about player, we're talking about referees, and we made the comment about do ref do play do teams scout out referees? I'm sure they do, and they know which referees do things for certain reasons, i.e., card happy refs, refs that are uh you know play one way or another, a ref one way or another. But here is the thing is that if if you think the EPL is getting weak, which I do. You got players, and I'll call out my own players. I have no problem with that. Players like Lacazette. Good Lord. I am sick and tired of players diving, and not even diving, but playing to the ref to get the ref to make the call. I absolutely hate it. It's been coming more and more uh, fruition. Probably the last few seasons, it's definitely more prevalent. 
this season. But you got players like Lacazette, Bruno Fernandez, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, freaking freaking Kane does this too. And uh, you know, and it, I it, it is an absolute disgrace to the league that that players do this and you know they hold their face right you go for a 50 50 header there's no contact whatsoever both players going for the ball and some guy goes down holding his face right and then there's the notorious everyone looks you know i forgot what player it was but he like looking through his fingers to see if the referee it's it's absolutely a disgrace to the game and that needs to be fixed but i think when you need to fix that is if you help fixing the referees you can fix the other problems, and that is playing to mm-hmm. the ref, right? You don't play what the ref – the ref should not have to manage the game. And you know what? Uh, manage the game in that in that light, right? So and it, it's, it's absolute disgrace. And on, on the side of that is that we can't – it just needs to get uh, – it, it needs to get back to the days like what it used to be when the EPL was, you know, faster, harder, stronger – and when players actually wanted to come to the EPL, and then the, these same players would actually say it's harder to adapt into the EPL for those reasons. Is it still prevalent today? Yes, but the EPL is becoming weak because of those exact reasons, is that players play to the referee, and it's, it's an absolute disgrace, and I cannot stand it, and I want it to change now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my <laughs> final thoughts. Thank you, everyone, for joining. We are the Soccer Central News Podcast. Join us on Facebook.com, Soccer Central News. Possible name change. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. We'll think about it. If you have an opinion, give us a call. 